Queen of New York City When, when the band finished playing They held out for more Sinatra was swinging All the drums they were singing We kissed on the corner Then danced through the night The boys of the NYPD choir Were singing going by And the bells were ringing out For Christmas Day Guess who we've got in the Skype studio? First of all, we have Colin Savage. Colin, how are you doing? Good. Hey, uh, very happy after yesterday, of course. I know we were great performance. We were very well fancied to be slam dunked in this game, but it didn't really turn out that way. And uh, to help us talk about this, we also have Ray. Ray, how are you doing? Hi, hi, Mike. Hi, Colin. I, I'm doing very well. Very good performance yesterday, and. The apparent agenda that seems seemed to have been set that City were going to lose uh, by a few journalists, I think. Uh, it, it's as if they get together and discuss what how they're going to slate City uh, beforehand. Uh, well, that didn't come to pass, and I, I'm sure we will uh, mention a few uh, few of their names uh, during this pod. Oh, well, let's go over to Colin Savage and uh, Colin. Um, how did that first half open up for you? What did you think? Well, I thought. Uh, I, I, I must confess, I was a little bit in the Sam Lee camp as regards being nervous about the game. Uh, and a few of us were talking about it before the, the match at the stadium, saying they gave us a tough game last season uh, and they probably got a little bit better. We seem to be a little bit uh, worse. So, um, but the, the first one, we started off really, really well, of course. Uh, you know, we put Leicester, we, we pressed them very high, which is something we haven't always been doing this season. We pressed them absolutely you know, right down to their goal line. And, um, well, I think we only had one potentially clear-cut chance. Um, you know, we, we didn't have many, I'd say we didn't have many glaring chances because we normally complain that we're not taking our chances. But we didn't have many glaring chances apart from that. But we, we played very, very well. And um, the, the the worry was, as with everyone, that Leicester were going to play on the break, well, absorb the pressure because that's what Leicester do. Um, and they've got Jamie Vardy, who's exceptionally quick, against Fernandinho uh, and Otamendi, who aren't exceptionally quick. So um, quite positive kind of first quarter to the game. Then just on the first quarter, really, 
um, Leicester broke up one of our attacks, and, and Kyle Walker was a bit bit lax in in the way he let a ball run off his uh, foot. Uh, it was a bit heavy touch, and um, I think you've got to give Leicester credit. Uh, I think it was um, Harvey Barnes played a beautiful Kevin De Bruyne standard pass into Jamie Vardy, who managed to get the wrong side of Fernandinho, and. Um, it looked like, uh, right at the last minute, it looked like Vardy's second touch had been a bit heavy. And watching from the, the end that City were attacking in the first half, it looked like it over the Edison was going to get there. And um, but somehow Vardy managed to lift the ball over Edison at the last minute uh, and uh, drop it into the net. And that's a very difficult thing to do, actually, to, to get the right um, the right sort of um I don't know, lift and power on the ball to make sure it doesn't go over or it doesn't get caught up in the goalkeeper's kind of onrushing body. So um, Leicester, having had just one attack, were one goal up when we'd had the majority of the play. Ray, that was on the 22nd minute. Were you getting that yeah. sinking feeling at that time? No, no I, I got the worried feeling because obviously we were a goal down. Every time Vardy got the ball, he was dangerous. It looked like there was danger. You know, uh, he, obviously he scored that goal. He created other, I think, very decent chances uh, for Leicester to score more goals. And I think there was one of them. The, uh, he had another chance where he ran through to uh, potentially make it 2-0, where he double-stepped uh, uh, Otwendi and Fernandinho. He's just way too quick for them. Um, and I think our apparently our idea was to... It was to keep hold of the ball as much as possible, press Leicester as much as possible to stop them having easy access to Vardy because every time they got the ball, they were looking for Vardy. Can we uh, play him in, in any way, shape or form? So I had that worried feeling, but as Colin had uh, already said, we um, we did have control of that, that game. Um, we were creating opportunities, not great chances, but we, we were pretty dominant. I was... Uh, Fairly confident that we could uh, get back into this game as long as we didn't go 2-0 down and ended up chasing the game like crazy. Uh, I think KDB had already hit the post, I think, before uh, Vardy had scored. Uh, and I've got a thing like Mares and KDB. Uh, um, for something that I noticed, and I think others have uh, said the same, is that KDB uh, quite regularly was coming inside. He was, he was dropping into the middle of the pitch and leaving Mares out wide. And that gave Mares an enormous amount of space and I think I've, I've been saying for a few games, when it's quite narrow there, or when Maris has got support very close to him, usually, and if it's someone like KDB, you usually get one or two defenders coming out because KDB is really dangerous. And that closes down the space. But when Kevin was in the middle, Maris is on his own. He only had uh, most of the time Ben Chilwell to deal with. And Maris is pretty decent one-on-one. -on -one. And one good thing he did yesterday was he didn't restrict himself to cutting in on his left foot. He started off with his uh, first um, uh, attack at Chilwell going outside. Chilwell wants him to go outside, but he went outside onto his right foot. He did that a couple of times um, before he scored the equaliser. And so I thought he was superb, the way he could fool him. And then basically he got a little bit of extra space and time because Chilwell didn't know where he was going because he'd already done him twice on the right. And I've got to say, I had um, I had scrambled eggs on toast for breakfast this morning. Mares, he had chill one on toast yesterday. <laughs> well, guys, here was the lineup: Ederson in goal, right back uh, Kyle Walker, Fernandinho and Otamendi in the centre, and uh, Ben Mendy on the other side. We had uh, De Bruyne, who was um, substituted right at the death by Aguero, just for a, for a minute or two. 
We had Gundogan, who was subbed by Rodri on 79, Bernardo Silva, Mares, Gabriel Jesus, and Raheem Sterling, who, again, right at the very, very death, was uh, subbed by Phil Foden. Now, uh, Colin Savage, uh, w- playing Leicester, we, uh, we were able to see right up live and in your face certain players that uh, City have been linked with, and I'm talking here about Chilwell and uh, Suyonchu, uh, the the centre back and the the left back. And uh, how, how, what did you think of them? W- were were you impressed? Uh, mm, um, well, let, let, let's take them separately. If that was an audition for the um, f- first choice left back spot at City, Chilwell failed miserably. Uh, Mares just tore him to pieces. I'm surprised um, the physio didn't have to um, unknot his legs at half time. Um, so no, Chilwell was not impressive at all. Uh, Soyuncu, mm, uh, okay, but it reminded me there seemed to be a lot of Otamendi in him, um, in that he was very, very, a very visible centre half uh, in the sense that you know he's always flying around and uh, and, and um, throwing himself into tackles. But th- th- there were quite a few mistakes from him. Um, Fully enough, um, I don't know if you saw there, the, the, the Leicester player who probably stood out was one we, that we did try, definitely tried to get, which was uh, Johnny Evans. And I don't know if you saw, yes. um, Jonathan Liu has moved to the Guardian from the Independent now. And he went into full Guardian um, stupidity mode, um, claiming that uh, Johnny Evans was the best player on the pitch yesterday. Uh, I've now, got to say, I've got, I've got to jump in, I've got to say <clears throat> that Jonathan Liu... I think he should change his name to Jonathan Poo because he's <laughs> literally talking out of his backside. Yeah, he was the one that's been much heralded as um, this great young intellectual talent. But, um, oh, my gosh, I, I can't even read The Guardian these days, guys. It's just it's, it's, it's really poor and it's very, very partisan. But um, anyway, Ray, um, let me ask a, a similar question to you. I mean, Leicester City... These were the. This was the team that was um, much vaunted to be displacing Man City into third place. How impressed or unimpressed were you by them? Well, they're a decent side. I, I said so many times yesterday on uh, various uh, videos and uh, vlogs and whatever. To be second in the table, even now, they're still, got to remember they're still second. People discounted them, but to be second after what eighteen games, thirty nine points, they're scoring you know more than two points a game, which would if they could, if you could extrapolate that to the end of the season, uh, sorry for using big words there, Mike. Uh, mathematical terms. If you can extrapolate that to the end of the season, uh, for you thespians uh, uh, or whatever you are, I don't know what you would call yourself these days. But anyway, if you can extrapolate, did be scoring over eighty points, which is a decent return. So Leicester uh, are a very, very decent side. There's some of their players are talked about if they ever get sold for huge amounts of money. We're talking Chilwell, 60 million plus. Madison's probably 80 million. Soyuncu, probably 60 million. And in all honesty, for me, mostly, it was the Jamie Vardy show from Leicester because that's who they relied on. Uh, and a bit of Schmeichel as well for a couple of saves here and there. But it's not that they were unimpressive because, you know, I think they... They were quite decent at holding us at, at bay at times and looking for Vardy. But I think we were just that good. And, you know, it was City playing that good that made Leicester look average rather than Leicester looking at, uh, playing average that made City look good. We were, I think, that excellent uh, in, in that game uh, yesterday. 
Colin Savage, uh, uh, reading all of the write-ups before the game, apparently the people that we had to be really, really frightened of were uh, Yuri Tielemans and uh, Madison uh, in uh, the forward midfield, midfield positions. What, what was your assessment? Were you distinctly unimpressed as I was? Well, I think we completely played them out of the game, didn't we? We never allowed them to get uh, a look in at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they are two very good players, but, um, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, uh, Mares, Gundogan, they, they all completely, they completely dominated, even Mendy. And, and I think that they completely dominated the midfield and Leicester's re- the, the way we were pressing, Leicester's only outlet was to hoof it long to Vardy, which is not a bad tactic when you've got someone like Jamie Vardy. But um, it, it took me about, I don't know, uh, it took me quite a well, I think he committed a foul. Then I realised Tillmans was actually playing. <laughs> Tillmans was actually playing. And, and I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be cocky there, but we, we they had no impact on the game whatsoever. I, I, I just wonder how many touches that they had even. Mm-hmm. Let's go over to Ray and ask Ray, um, who in light blue, uh, really, really uh, impressed you in this game. You're going to start off um, with Kevin De Bruyne because apparently, uh, um, according to the yeah. interwebs, he was majestic. Oh, oh, look, look, he was fantastic. You know, he was absolutely fantastic. And I can't believe, I can't believe that there was a list out this week, the top 100 players. And we look in the top 10, Kevin De Bruyne wasn't there. There were literally, in that top 10, there were literally 17 Liverpool players oh. better than KDB <laughs> in that top 10. Uh, and it was, it was but come uh, quite... on, Ray, come on. They have won that tin pot out there in them. Um... Oh, look, look, look. I don't, I don't even know why we're doing this pod. I don't even know why we're bothering with the Premier League because, you know, we've got a team in our midst who are world uh, club champions. They're the best team in the world, apart from England. Um, you know, uh, I saw that uh, John Bishop tweet uh, t- uh, where they have this uh, map of the world, and I don't know who it is. It's cartoon thing that they go through all the countries in the world, and I'm sure they did basically to say we're the champions of everywhere, but they didn't mention England. Uh, they're not the champions of England, not yet. Anyway, we still got our fingernails uh, gripped onto our, uh, our title. But Kevin De Bruyne was awesome, uh, and. He's now re- returning and showing the form that uh, we'd missed last season and we'd missed, I think, early on this season because for me, earlier on this season, he was showing glimpses of brilliance but not maintaining it through games. The last couple of games, he's shown us, you know, he's getting back to his best and his current level seems to be many pundits. Uh, and on this, I will agree, probably one of the top three players in the world right now, probably the best midfielder in the world right now. And he can get even better. You know, he's he's got he's got that deceptive pace as well. He drives through the heart of teams. Passing is wonderful, short and long. Um, he's, he's got generally he's got a good um, uh, he's got good energy. He's up and down that pitch. I think at the end, he probably had cramp or he was absolutely knackered because he'd given it everything. And he's everything you want in uh, a midfielder, uh, a top player, and dare I say, next year's captain. He's what we want to drag the players through, uh, kicking and screaming through games. He's our driving force, and I think he'll be made captain next season. I can't see any other. Well, let's go over uh, to, Colin, um, to Colin Savage and and, uh, and ask Colin, uh, who were the other players that impressed you in this game? Um, well, I think we mentioned some of them. Um, uh, a close second to Kevin De Bruyne was uh, Riyad Mahrez, who probably had his best game for us um, in the time he's been with us. And, and as Ray said earlier, it, it wasn't just a case of him coming inside, as he usually does, but he was prepared to go outside. 
and I think a lot, perhaps we'll talk about that uh, in a minute or two, but um, I think a lot of that had to do, again, Ray alluded to this, I was going to say something earlier, but uh, the, the way we set up. So, so Riyad Mahrez, I think, was a close second to Kevin De Bruyne. I think we saw the uh, in his favoured position, the Bernardo of old yesterday, um, very, again, and someone else who covered most of the blades of grass on the pitch and was very, very effective. Um, Gundogan had a few uh, a few iffy moments, but in general, uh, he drove us forward in a way that perhaps Rodri wouldn't have done. So I think he was exactly the right choice um, for, for that game. And I think he was a large part of the reason that Madison and Tielemans, uh, along with De Bruyne uh, and Silvercourt, didn't get a look in. I think um, uh, Ben Mendy had another brilliant game, um, was fantastic. Um Fernandinho and Otamendi, I, I thought, were quite solid. And that's it. That, that's just where I wanted to bring in Ray. And um, yeah. Colin has talked about a lot of the attacking players, uh, Ray. So uh, the focus on this game with the potency of Leicester, we were we were indoctrinated with that before the game. We had Mendy, Otamendi, Fernandinho, Walker and Ederson. How, how do you feel that the, the, the back line matched up? I think they, were, they did all right. I mean, there's nothing you can do against Vardy's pace in, in a straight, you know, foot race uh, over a certain distance. There's nothing Fernandinho or Otamendi can do. The only one who had any hope uh, would have been Walker. And uh, for that first goal, Walker, uh, as, uh, as um, uh, Colin has already said, he was left stranded up the pitch after miscontrolling the ball. Could we, he, could we, could, no... could we just talk about that goal, please, uh, Ray? Um, yeah. Just uh, well, talk us through it. Well, basically, Walker, I think he intercepted uh, a pass in, in, inside the Leicester half, but then he miscontrolled it or he, he intercepted it, but he hit it too far ahead of him. And I think it went to Ben Chilwell. And the only decent thing he seemed to have done all game, he passed it to Harvey Barnes. And, Har- and Barnes hit it, I think he was still inside his own half with the outside of his uh, right foot. Uh, so the ball kind of just curved around um, Fernandinho. And that allowed Vardy to come across Fernandinho to get ahead of him. And you could say, could Fernandinho brought him down or would he have been sent off? Even though they were out wide left, that's a possibility. Uh, he could have been sent off. So maybe Fernandinho just lifted his hands and let Vardy go. Vardy went dr- driving into the box. And as Colin said, I thought as well, I was on the same end as Colin was, far, far away, um, that he'd overhit the, his uh, second touch. I thought Edison came out too far or not far enough and he stopped and then he went down and Vardy just lifted it over him. He got the weight of the shot perfect to lift it over Edison and actually back down to have enough strength to beat any defenders who were chasing back. It was a cracking goal from uh, Vardy um, and you know he, he's, a, he's still a brilliant player at his age in his early 30s. His pace isn't diminishing. He, he was fantastic. Um but going back to, to our, our defence, they, they can only do so much against Vardy. You know, as I said, you can't beat him in a straight line uh, chase for the ball. Um, and Pep said as, as well, I think the idea was to press them differently, maybe press them a bit higher, press them properly, because I don't think we've been doing that, that much, and to control the ball. And if we've got the ball, basically, if we've got the ball, then they haven't, and they can't pass it to Vardy. Um, and I think Pep said after the game, he said he does it to, uh, against Otamendi and Fernandinho, but he does it against uh, that against all centre-backs in the world. So he is unstoppable in that situation. The question is, how few times can you restrict him doing it? 
That depends on the high pressing and the amount of times we can create goals. The other option is defending in the defending the box. And look, City don't defend the box. You know, we're not going to suddenly because of the Jamie Vardy plant eight men behind the ball and you know six men in our eighteen-yard uh, uh, area in our penalty area to stop Vardy. We're going to carry on doing generally the same things we normally do, but we'll tweak it a little bit. So that tweaking is pressing higher, higher pressing with more players. You saw, uh, especially in the second half, I was watching Kevin De Bruyne. He was leading the press. Um, so he was the, sometimes the furthest forward player leading that press, chasing down people. Uh, whereas Bernardo Silva, who at the start of the game, we thought he'd be playing around the same you know, area as where David Silva would play. I think he was a little bit more withdrawn and they let KDB do a lot of the running, the attacking running. And Bernardo Silva did more of the defensive running and the general day-to-day running around the midfield. So I think the combination of the, uh, the way we set up help the defence in a very tricky situation against a very difficult customer in Jamie Vardy. Well, let's go over to Colin Savage because um, I did notice that Gary Lineker was strangely quiet for about the next 10 or 15 <laughs> minutes. And uh, there's a good reason for that, uh, Colin, because uh, Vardy's uh, goal uh, put Leicester in front. Didn't last that long. Must have been about eight minutes later, nine minutes later, when up comes Riyad Mahrez. Can you talk us through that one? Uh, yeah, I can. Um, I can in a minute. I've checked my notes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there was a fantastic ball. I think it was from um, Mendy to, to Mares. And um, Mares was virtually still on the touchline. The ball was quite um, quite a hit with, with pace, but he managed to control it superbly. And he, he then, as we said, he had plenty of room. He came inside. He was running across the line of the 18-yard box, and he unleashed a, a low shot, which I think Schmeichel might have had covered um, un, under normal circumstances, but Soyuncu just got a heel to it and uh, deflected it past him as he was diving. Uh, and it looked a bit dodgy at first because I think Fernandinho, what Fernandinho was doing there, uh, I'm not sure, was stood in an offside position. So it wasn't quite clear at first who'd got the deflection. Obviously, if it come off Fernandinho, it would have been disallowed. But it was um, after a quick quick review. It was obviously off uh, Soyuncu, and uh, we were one nil up. So a, a touch of good fortune, but no more I thought than we deserved. Well, it was actually one one that that brought the equaliser. One uh, one, yeah, the equal. I think it was no more than we deserved to to get level. Absolutely, and and Ray, there there's been a lot of consternation on uh, social media about why Pep doesn't play uh, Mares more. Now there are people who are out of form. We know that. But this guy is not out of form. He's he's never been out of form the whole season. Um, and there there is a bit of a debate about whether he is better starting a game or or, or coming off the bench. But um, he seemed to, he, yeah. I mean, he seemed to be um, in the mood to prove a point to his former employers. I, I don't think he's a player to come off the bench because um, I think he mopes around and sulks that he didn't start the game um, if, when he comes off the bench. He's not like we've seen Bernardo Silva come off the bench this season. And he's been in poor form, but he still puts effort in and he still manages to score goals and sparkle a little bit and shows uh, some of the gold dust that he showed us last season, but only in bits and pieces. Maris coming off the bench doesn't fill me with any great hope. Uh, yesterday, though, for, we don't know the reason. I mean, I, I went to Oxford and watched Maris play against League One defenders and he was bang average. He probably got one of the lowest marks I give the, the team, uh, any of the players that night because 
He was just looking inside. He was becoming selfish. He wouldn't pass it to Fordham when Fordham was in good uh, positions running through. And it was like Myers was trying to impress, um, to, to try and you know show that he can do it. And sometimes, you know, you, you try too hard when you aren't confident and it doesn't come off. But yesterday, every, uh, almost everything came off. Yes, he was... He probably had about half a dozen shots, and most of them were blocked. Um, or I think he had a pretty good game. I can't put my finger on why. Whether it was simply because we were playing against Leicester, and he wanted to show them, um, you know, what they what they'd lost. I mean, or was it purely because uh, we had tactically changed the, the setup, so it was quite often one against one. It was just Mares against Chilwell, and Mares knew he had the beating of Chilwell, and Chilwell knew that too. And, and maybe Pep had, had set it up that way and had said, go for him, you know. And it, it seemed to be most of the time Mara's got the ball. He took um, his opportunity. He took the risk. And I was chatting with an Algerian journalist earlier in the week about this. And I said, Maris doesn't take the risks that Sterling does. And sometimes, you know, sometimes Sterling's risks don't pay off. Um, but he still takes those risks. And Mares doesn't. But yesterday, he took those risks. And as... We've said he turned Chilwell inside and outside, left him twisted um, on the spot a few times, on the floor a couple of times as well. Um, he had a cracking game, you know, and he, he was like he was making more of the right decisions. You know, he made the decisions to pass to KDB for his shot that hit the post. So he was passing better. A couple of times I thought he could have still looked up. He had one um, pass early in the in the half when he hit it across the six-yard box where we had nobody. It was a great cross if somebody was running in, and I think he should have looked up um, there. But overall, he had a, a pretty good game for whatever reason. Whatever the reason is, I hope they can bottle it and store it and pull it out every time we've got a big game and open the bottle, let the genie out, let Mares do his, his stuff, let him be the Algerian prince that all his fanboys tell us he is. Well, I'm one of those fanboys, so... <laughs> uh, guys, uh, um... <laughs> It was uh, seemed to be heading for uh, 1-1 at halftime, and uh, it was quite interesting because I noticed a lot of polls on social media about who should be City's penalty taker. Um, they don't have a lot, a lot of confidence, it seems, the City faithful in Sergio Aguero, and, and probably for good reason. But, um, uh, Colin, there was a penalty incident two minutes before the whistle was blown at halftime, and perhaps you could tell us a little bit about this one. Yeah, well, uh, Raheem Sterling got the ball on the uh, left-hand side of the box. He he came inside Pereira. And Raheem Sterling, really, I don't think had a very good game yesterday by his standards. Uh, but he came inside Pereira, he got the beating of him. And uh, Pereira kind of made a bit of a clumsy attempt as the ball went past him and caught him uh, on the foot. Now, we've seen, <laughs> we've seen penalties turned down for, for far worse than that at the Etihad and at opposition grounds where we've been playing. Uh, <laughs> my game pointed, uh, for, for, and I was right behind it, so I'm right in line with that. And at first I thought, oh, we're not getting that. It looks a bit of a dive. Then Mike Dean surprisingly pointed to the spot, and I thought, oh, it's going to get overturned on uh, VAR. But, of course, it it, it, um, it wasn't. So well done to, to Sterling for that. And uh, what, what I was a bit annoyed at, I think it was um, Tielemans, who went up to Mike Dean and suggested that Sterling had dived. And if I'd been a ref, I'd have booked him for that. Um, which is a bit naughty, but um, I, I say with, without you know, the, the question has been who has been our penalty taker. But with Gundogan on the pitch, there really was only one answer, and he took the penalty. And um, 
it, it, it was low and to the, the right-hand side of the goal as we are looking at it, um, which is the right thing to do. But Schmeichel got fingertips to it, so um, it, it, it was good for him. But, but if you put it in the right place, you absolutely cannot stop. There's no way to stop a penalty like that. So um, from having kind of been a bit despondent and thinking we were going to, going to be a repeat of the United game uh, at the quarter, quarter um, mark, we uh, were going in 2-1 up, which made life look a lot better. Cast iron penalty, Ray? Uh, great dive. No, no, <laughs> I'm only kidding. Only kidding. Um, look, you can tell by the reaction of the defender. Um, he never once went up to the referee to berate him and say it was a dive, it wasn't a penalty. He had his head hanging down. He knew he'd caught Sterling. And, and although you might see some stuff on social media uh, by... Liverpool fans, which I'm quite surprised they should still be celebrating their team becoming a universal uh, galaxy champions. Um, even the, the Muslim won the Milky Way Cup as well. But did someone put a, a picture of Raheem um, going down, but he'd missed out the first two seconds of the tackle where the guy, had, um, uh, I think, stood on uh, Sterling's foot. So for me, the reaction of the defender said it all. He knew he'd fouled him. He knew it was a penalty. It wasn't him going uh, to the referee to complain. It was the other players. For me, you know, even though I didn't get a clear view, that told me everything I needed to know. I knew it wasn't going to. And once Mike Dean had pointed to the spot, there's no way that was going to be overturned. Uh, even if it, all he'd done was brush uh, Raheem Sterling's shoelaces, they wouldn't have overturned it once Mike Dean had given the penalty. Well, I'll tell you what Mike Dean is. He's my favourite referee in the world. I love the guy. Um, well, you love a poser, don't you, Mike? You love a poser. <laughs> he should be on stage, really. And how were your feelings um, at halftime, Colin? How, how was the how was the old uh, the noggin at halftime? Well, um, I was feeling quite. We were, I think we we're all feeling quite relaxed at halftime because um, I think many of us felt the same way that Sam Lee did that it was going to be a very testing game, um, and it hadn't been quite as testing uh, uh, as we thought it might have been. We played very, very well. I think we, we were more than um, more than deserving of our two-one lead at half time. And um, Leicester seemed to have no answers to to what we were doing. And the only, of course, the only doubt in your mind is two-one is never a convincing lead where City uh, are involved. And uh, Leicester had that, of course, one uh, weapon of getting the ball to Jamie Vardy, who was against Otamendi and Fernandinho. So, really happy with the way things had gone at half time, um, but of course a bit nervous about how we would uh, cope in the second half. Well, coming into that second half, I'm just going to go through the Leicester lineup, guys, just to uh, remind you they had uh, Schmeichel, Ricardo Pereira, Evans, Soyonchu, uh, Chilwell, Indidi, Perez, uh, Telemans, Madison, Barnes, and Vardy. And of course, there were a couple of uh, substitutions after half time. Old Brighton came on for Barnes. On 64, and uh, Gray came on for Perez on the 68th minute. It's quite interesting, Ray, that um, when uh, the media were all over Pep and trying to tell us that he was going to leave, there were a few names mooted about who would be the next city manager. Um, uh, Slightly ridiculously, um, in my view, um, the Leicester manager, um, our Brendan, Brendan who, who coined the word outstanding and and made it a made it a meme for 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 these times um he was one of the ones who was being suggested as a possible city manager how did you feel that he managed the game particularly with those um substitutions that he made and and how did you feel uh, about his um direction of the game 
on Leicester's well, behalf? I don't think he really changed the the game that much. You know, we just carried on doing uh, in the second half what we'd been doing in the first half. The first change for Harvey Barnes uh, was it Albrighton came on. He had no choice because uh, actually he, Harvey Barnes was injured. Uh, and I think Vardy put a cross in. Barnes was, I don't know why uh, Barnes was ahead of Walker. What, you know, what Walker was doing in the box, you know, chasing Barnes back. There's no way, as I could see, that Barnes should be uh, outpacing or ahead of Walker in any way, shape or form. But he was. He got into the box and um, he didn't get a good connection. Um, and Edison had come out and he slid and clattered into his legs. Now, the funny thing was, if that had been any a defender, if a defender had come in and taken someone's legs away, he'd have got, minimum got a booking and that would have been a penalty. But because it was the goalkeeper, he's somehow exonerated. I think that's wrong because, you know, he, he took the player out. But he hurt Barnes. Barnes um, laid down on the floor for a few seconds. Uh, then I think the, uh, he, he ended up getting up, walking out of the box. And as we uh, uh, played on, uh, took the, the, the goal kick, he collapsed outside the box, which... You know, we the fans were not best pleased. If you want to say you're hurt, stay, stay down when we have the the goal kick, crawl off the pitch uh, or something. And then I thought it was quite bizarre that he went off the pitch the longest way, went back towards the middle rather than going off at the uh, behind the goal because Leicester were losing. They needed to come back. I didn't see the urgency in Leicester really. Uh, I didn't see from, you know anything to to, to indicate they changed anything. Uh, in their tactics to to try and get this goal back. Um, you could argue, yes, you don't want to see teams just lumping the ball forward, high crosses or, or anything like that, and they didn't. Uh, but th- there was there was no meaningful um, change, as I said, to tactics or energy for, from Leicester. And to be honest, it was always, for me, City looked m- a lot more likely to score uh, a third and fourth goal than Leicester did to score an equaliser. Pop quiz question for Colin Savage. Now, this was quite interesting because Gabby J, who we've talked about, his incredible away uh, away ground scoring record, he netted his first goal in 12 home games for Man City in all competitions. Could you possibly remember the last time that uh, Gabby J scored a home a home goal for, for Man City and, and when that was? Don't start, was don't start using the yeah, internet. No, I'm- I'm just trying to think. Was it the Watford eight nil? No, no. Everyone scored I, I, in that I'm going to. I'm going to tell you that I, it was. I, I, uh, yeah, okay. you, you can oh, have a go. The, the last league game he scored in was in January at, at the Etihad. Uh, I can't tell you the oh. uh, And the last game. Uh, we're going to. We're going to. We're going to go in all competitions, Ray. March. Right. I get, I get. I get. Against who? Oh, it's going to be a cup game. Um, so it wasn't the Carabao Cup. Has to be the epic up Burnley. The answer, guys, is Schalke. Uh huh. In March. Ah. Okay. So each of his last uh, fourteen goals for the club before today have been scored away from the Etihad. Let's do another one. It's quite interesting. Uh, uh, a few of these little factlet, factlets. Okay. Um, all right. Let, let's 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 see if Colin. <laughs> I, wouldn't call, I wouldn't call them factlets, Mike. I wouldn't call them factlets. I'd change that vowel if I were you. Uh, okay. Well, uh, let's uh, see if Colin Savage can redeem himself with this one. Since his Premier League debut in March 2012, Raheem Sterling has won more penalties than any other player in the competition. Could you possibly put a number on that, um, Colin? How many penalties has Raheem Sterling won? 
Since when? Since March 2012. Wow. And uh, if you're if you're if you're within one or two, I think that we can give the points to you, and then we'll bring in Ray. I'm going to go for eight. Oh, okay. He's, he's got. I'll tell you, he's got more than that at City in uh-huh. the last five years. Yeah, you're right. So, care to take 13. thirteen? Thirteen. Not so bad. Not so bad. The answer is actually uh, seventeen. Seventeen. Wow. In this competition, that's only two a season, isn't it? Uh, well, it's not so bad, not so bad. Um, okay, let's just do one more to finish off. Uh, this is quite interesting. Here you we can go. Keep going until we get one right. No, no, no. Could be, no. Could be here. No, no, no. Well, 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 let's let's just let's just do one more, one more. Okay, Kevin De Bruyne became the first player to register double figures for assists before Christmas in a single Premier League campaign. Since who and when? Uh, well, who's that fellow that's got 20 assists? Was that Terry Henry? Uh, Lampard? I can't, I'd say Thierry, Thierry Henry. Okay. Um, that's that, my guess, Thierry Henry. That's totally wrong, so we're going to have to go over to Colin Savage. It's a lot more, re- it's a lot more recent than that. David Silva. Not a City player. Right. Rooney. Meza Ozil? That's the one. Yeah. Ah. Uh, season? Oh, it's pushing it right, isn't it? Um, Couple of seasons ago, yeah, so 16, 17, 18. 15, 16. How many? What was the number? What was the number of assists in the full season? Uh-huh. No, no, no. This was um the before Christmas. D- double figures before Christmas in a single season. Fifteen. Bang, bang, bingo! Colin Savage has got it. He's redeemed wow. himself. He's redeemed himself indeed. No. I've got to ask you the question then. If he can get 15 before Christmas, why did he get basically nothing after Christmas? Because I think the record's 20. That's right. You're absolutely right. He obviously doesn't, well, li- he doesn't like playing after Christmas. But um, well, guys- no, Obviously, he had too much of a happy Hanukkah, ha- Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to be worried about the rest of the season. <laughs> well, guys, let's talk about what happened after halftime. Now, Gabby J., uh, didn't get the goal until the 69th minute, so we're going to talk about that just a little bit later. I want to talk about minutes 45 to 69. Uh, Colin, how do you feel that City, having gained this advantage, 2-1 at halftime, just a couple of minutes before the whistle was blown, how do you feel that they came out in the uh, second half? Well, I think um, Leicester came out, showed a little bit more endeavour for a little while, but I think Ray said, we just carried on. Um, we just carried on the same way. We we pressed high. We were relentless. We didn't let Tielemans or Madison have the ball. Mares uh, was a little bit quieter. Um, but um, okay, Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo and Gundogan were running the show, and uh, it didn't take us long to re-establish our control. Really, I can't remember when the when the the third goal actually came. Was it on? It was just uh, it was about 20, seventy 20, minutes, wasn't it? Uh, nine. Six, 69, Sixty-nine minutes. minutes. Let's yeah. ask let's let's ask uh, Ray the same question. Ray, how do you feel that City cut it in the in the first twenty minutes no. or so uh, after the break? We generally controlled the game in the second half. I thought. I mean, I, I, look, I'm I'm still I've got a, a little bit of Cityitis running through my veins, and I, every five minutes I was chalking that off. That's five minutes done. That's another five minutes. Uh, because although we had the, uh, pretty much possession and control, I don't think we created stacks of opportunities. Um, you know, but but it, it, Leicester sporadic attacks. There were, I think, 
they were a little bit better in the, uh, at the start of the second half. They showed a, a little bit more fight and they, they were a bit spunkier going forwards. And they tried to get other people into the game, but we were just, I think we sawed up that midfield. And I think that's, I've been saying uh, many times this season, it's, for me, it's the midfield where we are winning and losing games, not because we've got poor, poor defenders. Um, wh- one of the problems we've had uh, um, th- throughout the season is we've let other teams attack our defence a lot more than they've been used to in mm. last season and the season before. And I, I, I probably mentioned this on the pod once before. I can't remember the actual stats, but the number of passes other opponents have against City averaged 200 and something uh, two seasons ago when we were Centurions. Last season it went up. This season it's, it's even higher. It's well over 300. So if they're going to have more of the ball, more possession, more passes, then it's more likely and it's only natural to expect them to have more opportunities and to have more threats. Um, so I think the way we um, got around Leicester's threat, as, as I said, is by having more possession, controlling the ball, uh, Gundogan spraying it wide. I, I, that's one thing I do like about Gundogan over Rodri, that he's quite happy to hit the ball out wide to Mendy um, or to Mares or Sterling. Um, pinpoint accuracy most of the time. Um, and as Colin has said, we I think we control that second half, apart from the odd sporadic burst from Leicester. We've got uh, two listener questions. Uh, the first one is for Colin Savage. Don't worry, Colin, it's not that bad of a question. We know we... You normally get the very difficult ones, but um, one person that impressed me very, very much in that period after the break was um, Kasper Schmeichel, and uh, he he made a series of really, really good saves. Anyway, our listener asks uh, this question uh, to Colin Savage. Why did Kasper Schmeichel, given how good he is, not make it at Man City? Well, yeah, I mean, he had a good game yesterday for, from a shot-saving point of view. But um, one of the things we talked about during the game was his distribution is absolutely awful. The number of times he put the ball out of play uh, was unable to find his own players, uh, I suspect um, has has a lot to do with it. And I think I don't think there was any particular issue at City. I think it was, there were just players ahead of him. Um, and it's that thing that you have to be that much better to break through from the academy, don't you, than, than, than a player you, you're buying from outside. Uh, if you give me advance notice, we perhaps could have um, looked at who was around at that time. Shea Given would have been uh, around. Shea, Shea Given, I suspect, would have been around. Shea, yeah, and you, know, you know, you're not going to. If you want for, I've, and I think it's more of a compliment to him that he left because he was ready for first team opportunities, uh, consistent first team opportunities. But I think there was one cracking save from Maras in the second half which was completely instinctive. Uh, one from De Bruyne, which he uh, was at a tight angle and he, he pushed over. There was a great, good save in the first half. He nearly got to the penalty, but his, his distribution was awful. Um, n- not a patch on uh, Ederson in that regard. Well, can I just can I just add, it's a testament to Schmeichel that he's, he's 33 years old. Okay, He was at City at a time when we had Shea Gibbon and Joe Hart. Joe Hart was coming through um, just after... I think Hart was on loan at Birmingham where just the season uh, that Schmeichel left. And I think Schmeichel, he's not going to get past uh, given. And it's a testament to him that at 33, he's still playing in the Premier League at a high level. And Joe Hart at 32 is basically nowhere. And it's a shame on Joe. Very, very, very good point. The second question is for Ray. And this listener asks, Ray, is there one player from the Leicester squad that you would take for Man City? Ooh, Johnny Evans. I mean, why not? 
Really? Really? <laughs> You're serious about that? <laughs> Not now. It'd be not. It'd be. It'd been all right. <laughs> I'd rather have Fernandinho <laughs> playing this. It's uh, at DM and Johnny Evans at back, but. I'm, I'm guessing you're looking at the future. Uh, it's tough, actually. I mean, the one that kind of Ben Chilwell kind of spoiled his copybook yesterday. Um, Soyuncu looked all right, but he was under pressure once he got a yellow card. Um, he made a few mistakes. I'm really honestly on yesterday's performance. I would really struggle to pick anybody apart from Jamie Vardy on yesterday's performance. Let's throw that over to Colin Savage. Is there anyone that you would take to City squad? If you asked me that a month ago, I'd have said Yuri Tielmans, but again, he wasn't brilliant yesterday, as we've already said. Um, If we're looking at selling uh, Leroy Sane, Damari Gray is, uh, I think, probably a good shout. Very, very quick. Um, Not not impressed by by Ndidi at all? Uh, it's just a, okay. is it just a poor man's um, poor, poor man's Fernandinho, maybe? Who isn't? Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's true. Poor man's Fernandinho. Yeah, I wasn't. It's a poor man's Fernandinho. It's funny. The poor man. Yeah, we're all a, we're all a poor man's Fernandinho. When I watch the game, I can tend not to unless an opposition player has a really spectacular game or a really poor one, as Chilwell did. I tend not to look at them in the same way I look at City as a team. But, um, you know, so I didn't really notice Undidi. But say none of the Leicester midfield played much part in that game, really, yesterday. Harvey Barnes is quite an interesting player. And Damari Gray, you know, if you could mould him into a, another Leroy Sane, might be an interesting he shout. He needs to throw the ball a bit better first, I think. The person I'd most have from Leicester, and funny if we're having this discussion at half time at the game, is Brendan Rodgers, if Pep decides to go. Oh, my gosh. I mean, come on. Come, let's... Uh... Destroy this rubbish, Ray. Brendan Rodgers, come on. You you could not possibly have him in charge of Man City after Pep. It would be, I, I quote Hamlet here, well, Hyperion to a satyr, guys. Hyperion to a satyr. There's, there's two ways to look at it. The guy who comes after Pep, I think, is on a hiding to nothing. Um, because we've seen it, you know, even though Pep's only been here a few years, it's, it's, it's almost like a dynasty. You know, look at Ferguson, this, you know, six managers on, seven years on, they're still bobbing, struggling for sixth. Um, and they've had, they've had quality, you know, Louis van Gaal and Mourinho are not bad managers. Arsenal, they had Unai Emery after Wenger and he's, he, he did even last 18 months. Um, so you suspect it's going to be tough for whoever follows Pep. So why not throw Rodgers in as a sacrificial lamb, let him do a year, boot him out, before getting Arteta uh, uh, and uh, get a new sweater. I'm now beginning to see the wisdom of Colin Savage's answer. Okay. Put him in for a year and make him the guy after the guy. But um, guys, let's, yeah. mo- let's, let's move on uh, to the goal of Gabriel de Jesus. 69th minute, Ray. Perhaps you could talk to us about this one. Yeah. I mean, I mean basically, it was, uh, <laughs> it was quite funny after uh, Jesus scored. They sing his name. They're all singing for Kevin De Bruyne because he made that goal. He drove at the Leicester defence. It was uh, out on the right. And uh, it was the aforementioned Siuncu, who had been yellow-carded for, I think, fouling um, KDB in the first half. He just pulled him back when KDB was through on a wide right. He came towards uh, De Bruyne and then he kind of pulled away when he knew he wasn't going to get there. I think if he hadn't already been 
yellow carded, he would have fouled the the, 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 the tactical foul. He'd have done that on, on KDB. But KDB just brushed him aside, got into the box, drove towards the byline. And I think with his right foot, put it across uh, the six-yard box. And there was Gabby Jesus uh, for the first time in his life onside. And uh, he bundled the ball home. I think it was... It was, it was a decent strike because it wasn't an easy bundle um, to, to keep control of that because I think uh, KDB hit it quite forcefully. Uh, and he, I think he was a quite a relieved boy uh, to have scored after such a long time uh, at the Etihad. Uh, but it, it was all KDB. The fans were singing KDB's name afterwards. Um, you know, he, was, uh, um, he was the conductor. He was the maestro. He was the guy uh, that made us tick yesterday. And he was the guy that was pulling the strings. And he's the guy that set up that. Uh, relatively easy goal for Gabby Jesus. It's really, really quite gratifying, Colin, isn't it? Because we were widely tipped to be slapped by Chelsea and slapped by Leicester, and we've uh, we've slapped both of them. I'm just wondering, Colin, have we demoralised Leicester for the game against Liverpool? Uh, well, obviously, I hope not. Which is their um, ne- which is their next game? It, it's interesting because Liverpool actually play a completely different way to us. I, I know people look at hip, um, that they're pressing. It's, in some ways, it's a bit similar, but but we like possession and Liverpool don't really, as I said, don't like possession. They're not as possession oriented as we are, although, you know, they'll do the pressing stuff. Um, so I think you might get, if Leicester play the same way, you might get kind of two teams sitting back a bit, maybe. I, I just don't know. I, I think um, Brendan Rodgers obviously will want to do well against Liverpool in the same way that Rio Mahrez wanted to do well against Leicester. The, the funny thing about yesterday was, Having said before the game, oh, we're not going to win the title. I'm now doing the arithmetic and thinking, <laughs> well, if Leicester beat Liverpool and we beat Liverpool at the Etihad and, and they lose a couple of games, it's all back up in the air again, isn't it? And uh, Leicester will want to, uh, who was it? Jamie Jackson in The Guardian was talking about us scraping home and scrapping against Leicester, which, you know, which which gave a totally, uh, you know, we don't, we don't expect anything better from uh, Jamie Paradise, do we? That well-known writer of detective fiction to add to another string to his bow. But um, we didn't scrap. We didn't scrape a win against Leicester. We we played very, very well indeed. And I think Leicester will be hurting after that. And I think they will want to, uh, to prove a point. Flown back from, you know, Qatar and... Yeah, with that uh, little tiny trophy in their Whoa. pockets. Let me just go through um, some of the other results and, um, and and see if you've got anything to say about that. I'm just going to read them down. So we had two managers in waiting, of course, in um, uh, Ancelotti and... Uh, the El Clasico, because it was, it was about as interesting as the Real Madrid game at Barcelona during the week. It was basically you got two ball men fighting over a comb because, um, you know, both teams were pathetic, rubbish um, they both look like they got big jobs on their hands uh, to turn uh, their fortunes around. And Everton, and it's going to be interesting. Ancelotti's on about ten, eleven million pounds a season. I'd be interested to see if he lasts the season. Um, you know, you'd, you'd like to think if he keeps uh, Duncan Ferguson and Duncan Ferguson keeps giving the players rockets, that they'll have enough gumption about them to, to stay in the league. Uh, Arsenal, obviously, it's with Arteta. I think they'll they'll keep uh, getting worse before they get better. Uh, I don't mind that. You know, a, a, a weaker Arsenal is good, and let's hope they get better uh, later in the season. I've got to correct Ray about the the, the two bold men fighting over a comb because let me tell you, that's me. Mikel Arteta has got the perfect hairline, guys. He is a guy who will not suffer from 
uh, male pattern baldness. I would guarantee that. (laughs) His hair looks like his hair looks like it's been painted on or he's a Lego figure. I know, he looks, like an, he looks like an action man. Let's uh, run through a few, a few other scores and see if uh, Colin has got anything to say about them. Let me just list them. We can do it quite quickly. So Aston Villa 1, Southampton 3, Bournemouth 0, Burnley 1, Brighton 0, Sheffield United 1. That's uh, uh, Colin's second favourite team there. Newcastle, oh my gosh. The, 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 the progress continues a, a pace for uh, Steve Bruce. Newcastle 1, Crystal Palace 0, Norwich 1, Wolves 2. Anything, uh, anything uh, take your fancy there, Colin? Uh, actually, I watched that Everton-Arsenal game, which was the most, one of the direst games I've ever seen. I mean, it looked like uh, I mean, Oxford game was a better game than either of those two. Um, the, the interesting one was Villa-Southampton because those two were 17th and 18th in the table going into that game. So whoever won, you know, gave themselves a bit of a leg up. And I, I did predict that Villa would be Villa, along with Norwich, would be relegated straight back to the Championship. And um, Southampton changed places with Villa. Villa now in the bottom three, along with Norwich. So that was quite an interesting result. And I think Southampton are a better club than their position showed. They've got they've got some decent players. Maybe the weakness in central defence a little bit, but they've got better players than their position suggests. So. That, that was an interesting result for me. Bournemouth beat, beat game beat. I mean, but both Bournemouth and Burnley are very inconsistent sides. Uh, and I say, and I think I've said before on this podcast that uh, Eddie Howe's done a good job to get them to where they've got, but I'm not sure he's he's got much more to give. Not, I'm not saying he should be sacked, but um, you know, people were talking about him as potentially an Arsenal manager, uh, and I, I don't see that particularly. Sheffield United, of course, as you say, my favourite team. I did predict they would stay up this season, and they're proving me right. And, and they're, they're doing really, really well, aren't we? Of course, Newcastle United, Almiron finally got that goal he'd been waiting for for ages. So so that's a good thing. Norwich are doing what I thought Norwich would do, which was give away goals. Uh, Timu Puki missed a, a number of chances um, on, on Saturday to um, to make the game uh, safe, but and, and Wolves came right back into it. And, and again, Wolves seem to have got over their wobbles from playing in the early stages of the Europa League and are now, you know, pushing for a potentially pushing for a European place. You know, uh, yeah, some interesting results. Apart from up to our game, uh, Newcastle were the only home win. Exactly. Looking at this league table, it's quite interesting now, Ray. So Liverpool sit on top with 49, Leicester 10 points behind on 39, City now on 38. And uh, then there's a nine-point gap between City uh, and Chelsea and a ten-point gap down to Sheffield United. So I think we can City fans can take comfort in the fact that we will finish in the top four. Yes, and just uh, looking through uh, the rest of the week, a uh, very interesting game that we mentioned already on Boxing Day, uh, Leicester at home to Liverpool. Of course, the day after is Wolves against Man City. And then looking at that Saturday, what have we got? Nothing particularly interesting. I think Sunday, uh, the 29th of December, is a little bit more interesting. Liverpool against Wolves. Wolves are a, a dangerous team. And Man City come up against uh, Colin's second favourite team, um, Sheffield United, and Arsenal against Chelsea. So there are a couple of uh, pretty mouth-watering ties, uh, Colin, between now and the end of the month. Uh, yeah, there are. I mean, um, I say looking at Boxing Day, as you say, nothing particularly catches the eye. I mean, uh, apart from Leicester, Liverpool, of course. Everton, Burnley sounds like one to avoid. Um, 
but of course, now Ancelotti will be in charge then, won't he? It will be, it, uh, uh, us at Wolves, that will be an interesting game. They've always given us a hard game there. Manchester United going to Burnley. It's you know. weekend, isn't it? That'll be, that'll be interesting. Uh, there are some interesting games. And obviously, like Colin has said, games to avoid. I mean, Newcastle versus Everton doesn't smack me as <laughs> worth the drive up there. Southampton versus Crystal Palace. That's another one. Even Watford versus Aston Villa. Uh, I mean, we, we could be looking at 3 0 nils there. Uh, but then you got on Sunday, you got some interesting games besides our game against Sheffield United. Yeah, yeah, all interesting games. Chelsea. Yeah. So that that is a it'll be interesting, especially if Chelsea are out of the top six by then. Then you, I'm just looking at New Year's Day. You've got other boring games like Arsenal versus Man United. I mean, Arteta's really thrown himself into this. He's got some big games, you know, with Chelsea and United. Um, and can you can you imagine if he doesn't pick up any points? How bad is that going to be? You know, he's got Bournemouth away. Uh, as his first game. Can you imagine if he gets one point out of three, uh, how the AFTV and other boo boys uh, at Arsenal will get, will they get behind him? That's the question. Uh, or will um, the factions of the fans, we we saw some stuff yesterday where some fans uh, amb- apparently ambushed Robbie and his crew uh, uh, and were shouting, get out of our club. Uh, it's quite interesting <laughs> when Robbie said, we don't want these guys, these uh, I can't remember how he described them in our club, but those boys are only venting their opinions, and surely Robbie would would want their opinions because it is about fan. You know, these uh, fan channels are supposed to be about fans' opinions, so these guys have got an opinion. Maybe I think he he would want them to do it in a more civil manner than being a little bit aggressive. Guys, just one thing I want to finish off with, uh, just on a slightly humorous tone, because we did ask, I think, in the in the last pod or the one before, is Mendy back? But um, the question has arisen again, Colin Savage, after this game. You reckon this guy's coming back into a little bit of form? Well, I mean, we talked about this, I think, in the last pod, didn't we? Um, he's got, really, he's got the, the second half of this season to prove he has. But we've seen, we've now seen two very, very good games from him at um, at Burnley. And um, where it does look like, we're, we're starting to see the mending. He, he looks a bit leaner, he looks a bit quicker. His crossing is more accurate. So it looks like we're getting the Mendy we thought we were getting. But of course, and we were, again, we we're talking about this at the match yesterday. When he's had, when you've had the number of injuries he's had, it, it really is going to take you quite a while to get back into your stride. And even if you look at, you know, Aguero made his first reappearance yesterday. And we know that it always takes Aguero three or four games to really hit his stride, even if he's only been out for three or four weeks. So, so Mendy's been out for the best part of two years uh, on and off. So um, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm still hopeful that we will see the best of uh, Ben Mendy in the second half of this season. Yeah, I mean, for me, the interesting, yeah, the interesting thing about Mendy was apparently uh, he he was ripe to be sold uh, in the summer, uh, and I think the fact that he needed another operation on his knee uh, apparently uh, was the reason that he wasn't being pushed towards the door because. There'd be no suitors for him and willing to pay his wages to take him off our hands. So he ended up staying. The the move for Ben Chilwell, who you know, we were told he was it was almost a done deal a few months before the summer window, that just dried up and we ended up getting Angelina, which I just thought was a stopgap. He was a cheap option as a as cover. Um so it really does depend on what I think Angelina will go, if not this summer, uh, the summer after, because I don't think he's I don't think he's good enough, uh, in all honesty. And if Mendy can get back to his level of form, then that will throw another cat amongst the pigeons. Because do, do we end up then keeping Mendy as our first choice? I think it, it just depends. Can he play 
uh, we were told that he couldn't play two games back to back. I think that's a, a crucial thing to to find out. You know, will it take in in three or four months' time? Will he be able to play you know a game every three or four days? I think if he can, if he can stay fit and uh, maintain and improve his form, then I think he's back in the fold. But this this se- the rest of this season is certainly his last chance saloon because if he can't sort himself out, then City have to make they have, they'll have to go into the market and make a permanent solution, not something like Angelino who was a stopgap, but make a permanent solution. Whether it's Bell, Ben Chilwell, whether it's somebody else, they have to go and, and sort this problem position out. Once and for all, and it's interesting. We've always had a problem with left back. When we did a poll on our channel for the best city team of the uh, last decade, and left back was a very contentious position, and it says something when Alexander Kolarov ends up as the choice of the fans. He had fifty-five uh, percent of the vote in a poll of about one uh, one thousand three hundred uh, votes cast. So it's a decent enough sample size. And for Alexander Kolarov to win that vote, it just shows you how poor our left-back has been um, over the last 10 years. Let's finish off, guys, uh, on a positive note with the words of Pep Guardiola. Here we go. After the game, he said, even before Vardy's goal, we were playing well. It was an incredible performance with and without the ball. And we defended so high. Having Vardy there is so dangerous, but we were at a high level. So I'm so pleased I must Say thank you to the players for following me and playing the way we wanted. I have tried to convince the players that this is the team we want to be. If we win or lose, this is the team that we can be. I'm very pleased. I like to watch my team play in that way. When the team doesn't follow the way I want to play, I will leave. I hope in the future we can continue at this level. So there you go. Apparently, rumours of Pep's departure are uh, extremely exaggerated. We're happy about that. And so it's been a lovely pod just to um, reflect on this uh, important win. And uh, we're just going to thank our two guests, or, well, not guests any longer, two members of the Bolt from the Blue podcast for their participation. We're going to start off with Colin Savage. Colin, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure. Can I just say before we go, one thing I wanted to say earlier was what struck me yesterday was the sort of formation we were playing. Because at many times... Bernardo was dropping back alongside Ilkay Gundogan and then moving forward. Kevin De Bruyne was kind of playing in a free role behind the, I don't know, was it the front three or was it the middle of a midfield three? Benjamin Mendy was so far up the field, he was almost in midfield. And I was trying to kind of jot down and work out what sort of formation we were playing. And I know a match of the day showed us as a, almost a 4-2-3-1. I, I would have said it was more like, um, I don't know, a, a 3-2-4-1 uh, for me with, with, with Mendy playing uh, so far upfield but it, it was something quite I wouldn't say it was unusual but it was I noticed it more yesterday than, than I noticed it before very very difficult to work out what Pep's doing inside the game uh, Ray any thoughts about that as we sign off well I mean I, I, I said before the game I wasn't sure how Bernardo would fit in would he uh, you know I was thinking would Pep do this before the team news was out that would he pick Rodri and Gundogan uh, Rodri as a pure defensive midfielder and Gundogan, as I call it, as a half-and-half half, who's more adventurous, uh, more creative, but he's still available for that defensive role. Uh, I think that's basically where Bernardo Silva uh, fitted in and actually you had Gundogan as the defensive midfielder, but as a creative defensive midfielder. I like that. I like the fact that it's not just 
negativity. I'm not saying playing Rodri is negative, but it's it's more negative to play Rodri than someone like Gundogan in that position. Bernardo in front. Mendy was Mendy was like as Colin said, he was like a midfielder most of the time, and, and Sterling up front and KDB as I said earlier, marauding around and chasing uh, people down. It was a funny old formation, but look. If it works, uh, I, have, I have no problem. And that's just what you'd expect from a master tactician. Maybe it's Pep showing that there's life in the old dog yet and it wasn't all Mikel Arteta uh, pulling the strings and coming up with these um, uh, tactical strokes of genius and Pep still got it. I, I think that that's a very good point, Ray. And um, we remember, of course, that um, quite hil- hilariously when um, Alex Ferguson uh, left United, I remember... Terry Phelan coming out on the uh, into the press and saying that he had been managing the team for the last two years, which is obviously uh, ridiculous. I think that you can probably imagine what Ferguson thought about that. But uh, it'll be good from now on for that particular little onion to be laid yeah, to, yeah. Re- laid, laid to got, rest. Yeah, I've got to say, as the fans uh, sang, uh, 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 fans have st- start singing the games. There's nobody better than Pep and his sweater. <laughs> that reminds me of a recently issued podcast. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, well, listen, Ray, thank you so much for coming on. Always a pleasure, Mike. Always a pleasure. And thank you so much to Colin. Thank you. It's a pleasure, as Ray says. Absolutely. And I hope everyone who listened to this has a, a good Christmas if you're celebrating it, wherever you are. Yes, Merry Christmas, one and all. We hope that this provides you with are a little... Gonna, are we going to sing something? Are we going to sing a, a quick carol for the uh, for the listeners? We <laughs> wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. Well, I don't think, I don't think Boyzone have got much to worry about. <laughs> Boyzone? Yeah, well, uh, Boyzone? 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 I, no, no. What I, what I will say, Colin, is maybe not in the looks department, but we sing just as good as they do. There was just I've just got to finish off with this, guys, because you just reminded me of it. There was an absolutely amazing tweet that uh, came on my timeline, and it said, um, Warning, guys, if you receive a tweet that says uh, Ronan Keating's Christmas special, please don't open it, because... If you open it, it's Ronan Keating's Christmas special. <laughs> I've got to say, that's, what I was, that's who you remind me of, Mike, Ronan oh. Keating. <laughs> if only I look like him. All right, guys. Well, l- listen. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that, guys. We will be back with you very, very shortly. But until then, have one on us. Have a festive one on us. And up those blues. Ow!